Welcome to the Myeloma Team Podcast. I'm Kenny Caps. And I am Yolanda Bronson Sarov. Getting past the obstacles that life throws at you takes a team effort. A little over a year ago, Yolanda and I brought our different but shared experiences together to create the Myeloma Team. Not to state the obvious, but 2020 was hard, Yolanda, for nearly everyone. But this is a new year full of hope, laughter, and, and maybe we can take some time this year to breathe. So, Yolanda, thank you for starting this project with me, and thank you, everyone in the digital world, for tuning in. By the end of 2020, we at the Myeloma team had over 200 downloads for our program, but by the end of this year, by the end of 2021, I hope we add two zeros to the end of that number, so please share the word. We are ecstatic about today's guest, to start the year off with a bang, we would like to welcome Mrs. Lilyhead, president of Voices for Our Father Legacy Foundation, and Miss Lily's sister, Joyce Christian. Joyce and Lily's father, Freddie Lee Tyson, and Mr. Tyson's, quote, bad blood, is the reason we're here. It's a horrible and complicated part of our country's history, begun nearly a century ago, that compounded a culture of distrust and created seemingly insurmountable fissures. Voices for Our Father's Legacy Foundation was organized in 2014 by the descendants of the 623 men unethically and immorally treated in the United States Public Health Services syphilis studies. From 1932 to 1972 in Tuskegee, Alabama, the organization is a 501 nonprofit organization and connects descendants across generations, provide annual scholarships to descendants, and participates in the research project, The Untold Story, as well as offers support guidance to the Tuskegee University National Center for Bioethics and Research in healthcare while pursuing all other strategic plans. According to VoicesForFathers.org, Voices for Our Fathers Legacy Foundation sets the record straight concerning the United States Public Health Service Syphilis Study that was conducted over four decades from 1932 to 1972. Those 623 African-American men that Yolanda mentioned in Macon County, Alabama, were treated like lab rats without their knowledge or consent. They were lied to. This event damaged us all, and now African-American communities have understandably built giant walls, distrusting the motivation of healthcare providers, especially relevant during this global pandemic. Voices of Our Fathers exists to tell the story of the affected Tuskegee families and to share their truth. Ms. Head and Ms. Christian are leaders in sharing that truth. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Henrietta Lacks's cells, now known as the HeLa cells, were collected and became one of the most important mortal cell lines in human history. They were collected, experimented on, and reproduced in perpetuity, all without Henrietta or her family's knowledge, consent, or even offer of compensation. So, what do the Lacks family and families of of this sort of thing, um, what do they have in common? 
Well, there, there are quite a few things in common that they have. Um, and if you look at Henrietta Lacks, she was born in 1920, mm -hmm. died in 1951. Mm -hmm. And um, that was during the time of the syphilis study actually going on as well. Mm -hmm. um, Which actually was a little bit before that, right? The syphilis study right, pre right. predated that. Mm -hmm. Well, no, Henrietta Lacks, I think it was in 1920. 21. 21. 21 that this all happened. Okay. Well, no, so 1921 was when Henry Ryder was born and she passed right. in, in 19 in 1951. Right. Um yeah, that that was when 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 that happened. And the study will however was doing was going on during her lifetime. Right. right. And also during the time right. of the syphilis study that was going on in Tuskegee and Macon County. And she was a family lady. She had mm -hmm. five children. Mm -hmm. The men had families. They mm -hmm. had children. Yep. She was a hard worker. She was a tobacco farmer. The men had uh, were hardworking men, parents, farmers, uh, pastors, uh, all kind of different occupations. My daddy was a carpenter. He also worked for the forestry depart, um, department in um, Macon County. So they had similarities as far as background. But most importantly, I think the, the time was during the Jim Crow era. And that was the time that yeah. Blacks were considered not the same as whites. Right. So they could be used or abused uh, in any way that was possible because they were considered not human. They were different for, for some kind of reason. They were different from anyone else. And of course, the uh, consent, Henrietta Lacks didn't know about, have any knowledge of what was going on when uh, she was, when she had the diagnosis of cervical cancer and she died from it. And they took her cells without her knowledge, without her consent, and use those, they immortalize those cells, which are being used now even in the late, you know, medical research. And the men as well, they didn't know about the study either. Uh, they went with faithful hearts seeking what they had promised them was some care right. for the syphilis. And uh, so they didn't get that and they weren't informed of the study that they were being uh, tested for. And so, you know, the similarities as being knowledgeable about the study, giving consent about the sales. And now we have, um, we have, uh, we've asked the CDC, right, Lily, and uh, uh, National uh, Institute of Health about autopsy uh, uh, specimens that were taken of the syphilis, syphilitic men, we don't know where those studies are. There was lots of blood work that was drawn. All of these are blood cells and stuff, and we don't know where they are either until this day. Do we know that the, uh, it, was, was the data kept? I mean, does it still exist somewhere? Well, we think it exists, but they say they can't find it. Hmm. We think it is somewhere. Um, who would do, who do, who would actually be in charge of that collections uh, of that uh, of of collecting and, and maintaining well, that data? 
We have the experience of going to the CDC in Atlanta. Uh, well, it's not in Atlanta, but it's a, a part of Atlanta sure. suburbs. Mm-hmm. And um, we were able to see our records of our uh, fathers and grandfathers and uncles and mm-hmm. uh, uh, great grandfathers. And uh, with that, we were told that there were specimens of their, that were kept that were done. So, but we don't know where they were, and they claim that they didn't know where they were either. Right. So, you know, um, there's a lot of unknowns that we don't know, sure. and uh, this is very disturbing that we can't get to the bottom of it. But this is why the foundation is trying to to get more information and do more research. Sure. Uh, one of the other things I thought was interesting the similarities is between the time that all of this was un, uh, unfolded for Henrietta Lacks, it was in 1975 when they uh, a reporter did a report on it. And for the uh, United States Public Health Syphilis Study, it was 1972, which around the same time and um, a little bit before Henrietta Lacks. And a reporter also broke that story. Uh, from the a- from the AP uh, Associated Press, so there's lots of similarities between the study, but I think the main thing is the fact that um, we were not considered humans, and that's disturbing. That's disturbing. Um, so, uh, in in, in uh, conclusion, I just want to make sure that people understand that. We were, the men and Henrietta Lacks were not informed. They did not give consent. They didn't have any knowledge of what was going on. They were just used. Thank you. Yolanda, um, we went ahead, I went ahead and asked the second question concerning um, the comparison between the, uh, what Henrietta Lacks and her family went through, of course, and, and, and the syphilis study. Um, so if you want to go ahead and take off with your next question. Hey, first, let me apologize. That's where the technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Um, okay, so first, again, I want to thank you both for being here with us today. Um, so I watched. Miss Lily's uh, interview, which was on MSN. And I was just captiv- captivated by this foundation, which I've never heard of. Um, we've heard of the Tuscany experiment, but I haven't heard of this organization. So how important is it for people to know about this foundation, um, Voices of Our Father's Legacy Foundation? Well, thank you, uh, Yolanda and Ken, for for having us. We really appreciate and are very grateful for for this opportunity. It's important for people to know about uh, Voices for Our Fathers uh, Foundation for, uh, for me personally, three uh, main reasons. The first reason 
is because there was a lot of shame and trauma uh, associated and still is uh, with some members of the descendants uh, today. And the foundation would like to reach out to all of those uh, descendants to let them know there should be no shame uh, in, as they said, no shame in the game because there is no reason uh, for any descendants to be ashamed. The other reason is to reach out to descendants who do not know that they had a, a, a forefather in the study to allow them to look at their history and see what, what, what happened so that they, they too can become engaged and can become knowledgeable. And then the third reason is because this foundation, I think, is uh, unique in that it consists uh, primarily of descendants, was founded and organized by the descendants of the men who want to change, uh, not change, but transform that legacy and paint a different narrative of the men who participated in that study more than just, I think Kenny, uh, Kenny uh, mentioned that they were uh, lab rats uh, and, and see that's how some people can, can, can view them as being experimental. You know, we call them sacrificial lambs as I yeah. do because that's what they, that's what they were. So we want to, and the image that is left is that they were poor, uneducated, uh, sharecroppers, and it left the impression that all of them stayed that way in their lives. In the first place, all of them were not sharecroppers and all of them uh, did not stay. In fact, most of them did not stay in the uh, living conditions as being a sharecropper. We have to remember that this was only about 89 years after the Civil War ended at the end of slavery. So, and the, the, the Blacks and the uh, African-Americans and the former enslaved people, they had nothing. They were left with nothing after having been used all of those years. So they, they were, as you could say, they were trying to, to well, they were doing the best that they could. And uh, this is what Deep South, uh, Jim Crow era, racial prejudice and racism, this is what it allowed those men to have this kind of, of this kind of lifestyle. So we want to show how those men were resilient, persevered, hardworking, faith-based, community leaders, fathers, uncles, cousins, brothers, sons, human beings deserved much better and no human being should be looked at in any way in that manner. My father, um, said that when I asked him about uh, how he felt about being the study shortly after 
it was confirmed that he was uh, in the in 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 this study, and he said that he couldn't do anything about what had happened to those six hundred and twenty-three men, but it was up to us to make sure that it didn't happen again. Voices for our fathers is a means by which we can make sure that this doesn't happen again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Did you want to ask the other question? So even after all this time, I mean, is it is it possible to regain a trust in the healthcare system that that did this? I mean, even, even uh, as you mentioned, if it was during the the Jim Crow era, um, pre Civil Rights era, um, but can that trust ever be repaired? Can it be ever be restored? And how? And 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 where does the community begin? You begin by, first of all, acknowledging what has happened, by remembering what has happened, and by telling the truth about what has happened. And after you start with, you know, start at that point, both, both sides, I should say, should come to a place of wanting to uh, make a change. And I also feel that everyone needs healing, especially those who were victimized by it. So we need to talk about ways in which we can heal. Then how can we heal? We can heal by first, first and, 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 and foremost, allowing all of the voices to be heard by making sure that everyone is uh, informed and everyone has an opportunity uh, to do, um, to, everyone has an opportunity for better healthcare. I think that, that would be uh, a, a very good starting point with healing. It will not come overnight. Uh, it will take it will take some time, but I do believe trust can come about with acknowledgement, remembering, and um, putting forth the telling the truth about what what has what has happened and how it can how it can be changed. I think also we need to acknowledge that um, we haven't really healed from being enslaved in this country. And that needs to be, you know, you can forgive someone, but you can't forget. So I think that conversation needs to be explored as well, mm -hmm. because that's when all of this trustworthy, uh, the trust happened. You know, we trusted the slave master to do the right thing, but they didn't do the right thing. You know, they beat us, 
They put us down. They called us names and everything, and they used us. And, you know, it after uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, there were several communities that had that were mostly black ran and uh, people were in uh, government positions Mm -hmm. and the white supremacists, they came and cut it at the knee because they thought we were getting a little bit too powerful. So there's a lot of history. It's a lot of bad history over the years that needs to be addressed. And I think with the health that we've had, we see that all the time. I'm a nurse. We see that all the time that there is a disparity in healthcare. And we're seeing it now with the COVID vaccine that people of color are dying more and they're not receiving the vaccine equitably as our white um, neighbors or our white brothers and sisters, which they are brothers and sisters in Christ. They're, 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 you know, it's just a, um, a disparity there and we need to change that disparity. And I think with the administration that's in now, they're working to help to do that and uh, get out to churches. That's where the people are at churches. The church in the black community is very, very strong. And having these COVID vaccine shots given out into the communities where black populations are will help tremendously because we're the ones that are dying at a higher proportion than most of the society of the United States. So we need to to share that love. We need to share that love among our brothers and sisters and especially the black community and the, and the brown community because and indigenous people. Because all of these people, anyone that has something that look different from the white norm is gonna be treated a little bit different. And we need advocates for those people that cannot speak up for themselves. Just like the men in the study, we, they didn't have any advocates to speak up for them. So we're speaking, we're their voices, we're speaking for them right now, bringing that to life. And in addition uh, to that, I'd like to uh, speak a little bit about why the scholarships are in place. Because of the men did not have the opportunity for uh, education and was uh, not at a position to really uh, try and understand what was happening to them. We want to prevent that by provide, but, but prevent more of their descendants from not having an opportunity for a higher education. And we're also encouraging more of the descendants to get involved in the health sciences and medical and medical care. Because we have seen that when you have that, that diversity and you have people represented from all areas of society, you end up with a much better result. And that's another way in which you can start 
ensuring the trust into uh, the, the, the medical uh, science and the medical research. Thank you. So it kind of, it leads into the other question that I'm, I'm going to ask you right now. Um, so considering the similarity, similarities between this syphilis study and what Henrietta lacks um, her cells and all of that history of that, what would, what should be considered what you spoke of, Joyce, of this new day of COVID-19 um, and why many Black people are reluctant. You know, some know history. A lot of us don't know the history, but we do know that we're scared to take things that are different and that are new. So we may not know the full history, but we've heard rumblings, you know, over time. So, and rightfully so, a lot of um, black people are scared to take this vaccine. Um, do you trust this COVID-19 vaccine? And do you see yourself taking it considering your history in terms of your father? Yes, and, and that was one of the reasons why I went into, the, into nursing, because I wanted to find out more about my body. I wanted to be an advocate for my family uh, when there were things that were not quite what they understood, because medical terminology is confusing. It's confusing. And so you need somebody to speak up and say, hey, well, that wasn't quite right. You know, and I do it for other people. I don't just do it for my family. I do it for all that I know that ask. And if I see something that is not right, I speak up about it. Now, getting to your question about the COVID, I think we're scared. We're very scared. And there's lots of um, things out there about, well, if you take the COVID, you will get COVID. Well, if you take COVID, it's not made from the virus, okay? It's not the virus itself. And that's another misnomer that a lot of people have, that it's the virus. It's not the virus, it's an mRNA, which they take a piece of that to mimic the virus. So they give it to you so that you can build up antibodies from it. So um, with that said, I have already taken my first shot. I was blessed on Wednesday to take my first shot. My arm was just a teeny weensy bit sore, okay? It was better than taking the flu shot, which I take the flu shot all the time, every year. My arm was much sore with the flu shot than it was with the, the COVID-19 the COVID vaccine. And it was the Moderna, it was the Moderna shot. So I encourage all that are able and find out as much as you can to make the right decision to take the COVID vaccine because it will keep you from being in the hospital and having all of the, the great possibility of dying from the COVID. 
And that is just a terrible death because it not only affects your lungs, it affects your brain, it affects your heart, it affects your kidneys, it affects every main system in your body. And we know that our bodies is one, our bodies is one. So we telegraph with ourselves to everything in our body. So, you know, one thing, if you have like, if you have a pneumonia, you know that's gonna affect how much oxygen you're getting to all of these other places in your body. So it's very important that we realize that taking the COVID vaccine is one of the, one of the probably, for me, is the most important decisions I've made in a long time for my life and for my grandchildren and for my daughter and my son and my, you know, all of my family, my sisters and brothers, you know, and we are informed. That's the whole thing. We're informed about what is going on. Dr. Fauci comes on all the time. We are constantly bombarded by information. So all we have to do is turn on the TV and listen to the to what's going on. And I think um, and I've seen an increase in, in people taking uh, black and brown indigenous people taking in uh, the vaccine. And that's wonderful. And I encourage them to continue to take it. And I think with us being informed, not like the men, not like Henry Lax, we are informed. And a lot of people say, well, it was made too fast. It was made too fast. Well, uh, COVID, uh, the coronavirus has been out there for a long time, okay? They've had the tools to work on this virus for a long time. So they just had to fine tune it. And my comforting thing is the fact that there was, as Lily had uh, uh, mentioned before, we were at the table when it was being made. Our faces were at the table when it was being made. So it wasn't just made by a whole bunch of white folks. It was made by a collaboration of brilliant scientists. And it's gotta be good because all of these scientists have to be good. And it's also gotta be good because the whole world got it. The whole world has the pandemic. It's not like just one country, you know, so. Uh, taking the vaccine, all these other people are taking it. Why not jump on board and ride this train? Thank you. Um, well, uh, Yolanda, you want to finish it up? Yes. So I just, again, appreciate you, Ms. Joyce, for explaining that. I know I'm going a little off script, um, Kenny, because I know a lot of people in my sector, we've talked about it, you know, will you take it? Will you not take it? A lot of us considerably younger um, have said no. <laughs> um, the thought for us is, it's too soon, would you address that as well? And again, it's a history, even though the, um, Proof is in the pudding to some degree in terms of we're at a better place today. Like you said, this affects everyone. This isn't just a Black thing, even though we are dying considerably um, at a faster rate. Um, but 
some of us are just still a little reluctant as we don't want to be. And I'm speaking for myself as well. We don't want to be the first to the table. <laughs> um, however, conversations such as this is needed so that way we can open up our thought process because we know at some point we may have to take this if we want to survive. I mean, if we have to go through another year or two with being in this bubble that we're all living in, it's a bit daunting, you know, um, and then to be among other people. So that thought of taking this vaccine is actually a reality. We may have to buckle down and do what we have to do with research, you know, to make everyone feel comfortable in terms of which one to take. So with that said, um, to wrap this up, um, in terms of your organization, I know it's for the descendants, but can anyone join your organization if they wanted to be involved? Um, first, first, Shalanda, I'd like to say I appreciate what you have just said and uh, about your hesitancy on, on getting the vaccine as far as uh, being uh, on the younger side of, of the spectrum. <laughs> But um, I, I just like to, before I answer that uh, uh, about the membership, uh, I just like to, to ask you to um, ask yourself and for others who might be feeling the way you are, uh, what other alternative do you have for protecting yourself and the ones that you love? Exactly. So that's the question that I would like to 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 just leave with you, and then let you uh, just let you ponder ponder that. Um, now, as far as the membership, I am so grateful and thankful that that you included this question on 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 uh, our interview, because the foundation is open to anyone. Anyone can join. And we welcome them and want them to come aboard uh, to support what we what we are doing. And uh, in addition to the scholarships, we want to build uh, an, a, an appropriate memorial and inspiration garden at Tuskegee University, the National uh, Bioethics Center uh, in Research and Healthcare. And the purpose for that garden will be to remember, remember to start healing, we have to remember and we have to reflect. And the purpose of that garden will provide a space for remembering, reflecting and honoring and preserving the legacy of those men and of the study so that others will know forever what happened, the true story, the untold story of that study. So we welcome you. You can donate to the scholarship fund. You can donate to the building fund of the memorial 
and you could donate to our research project, which is the untold stories. And we are working hard, looking hard, and we welcome anyone with expertise who can help us with, with navigating these waters. Um, we would appreciate it. And all you have to do is just reach out to us on our website or give me a call. My number is on the website and we can further discuss it. So I thank you so much for, for, for that opportunity. Out of all of the interviews that we've had, and we've had plenty, um, no one has ever asked that question about becoming a part of what we're doing. It's open to anyway. If you want to see a change, if you want to see the trust be built up, I won't say back up because I think it's it's been long missing. This is not something that just happened. But if you want to see the trust build for our health and build for medical research and participating and uh, doing the best to take care of ourselves, we want to get rid of always being the race with the most of everything. And we want to change that. And that's what we're all about. Well, thank you. And thank you both for taking this time to be with us today and share with us uh, your story and let us giving us the opportunity to support you too and be members. Um, I actually just went on to your website um, and uh, made a, a small donation myself and, oh, um, and put it in my address. And I certainly want to encourage others to do the same thing. Every, every little bit helps. Um, you are being the change that we want to see in the world. So thank you. If you want thank to contribute you. or find out more about that. Yes, ma'am. I was just wondering if you would just do what you're doing. Voices for our fathers mm -hmm. dot org. Yes. Voices for fathers dot org. Forces for <laughs> I was actually just getting ready to say if you want to contribute. Or to find out more about Voices of Our Fathers Legacy Foundation, then you can find them online at voicesforfathers.org. Um, now, if you have any questions for me or Yolanda, or, or you would like to have a conversation on a particular topic or are interested in, in sponsoring our podcast so that we can have more of these kinds of conversations, please contact info at myelomateam.com. We do have a Patreon partner page. It's patreon.com forward slash myelomateam. Your help will help us do more. So we're on your team. Thank you. Me too. Yes, ma'am. We will. Yes, we will. Yep. And, and you know what? I, I would actually like Lily, to have a... I'm sorry. Go I ahead. Don't think, uh, I don't think Lily mentioned that every year we have an annual meeting in the spring. And this past year, we had to do it virtually, a Zoom meeting, which turned out really well. But uh, you definitely both and the audience are welcome to uh, get on Voices for, our, uh, Voices for Fathers org and find out when the meeting is and register. Love to Thank see you. you and have you. Absolutely. Uh, with the National Bioethics Center at um, the, Na the um, National Bioethics, Bioethics Center and Research and Healthcare at Tuskegee University. They're the ones who sponsor uh, our uh, every year day of healing. 
And uh, we would encourage people to look into that. We are also very close. We work very close and in partnership with the Bioethics Center, because as you know, that was uh, partially funded and started with the apology by President, then President Clinton. Uh, Bill Clinton. Yeah. So we right. are in close partnership with them under the leadership of Dr. Ruben Warren. Awesome. Thank you again so much. Thank Wonderful. It's so great much. seeing you. Thank you. Have a, uh, Have a great day. You too. And, good luck again, and I hope your team wins. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye bye. Bye bye.